Hello, welcome to Real College Talk. My name is Nikhil Nambori. And I'm Morgan Heath Powers. Real College Talk is your destination for honest and relevant post-secondary conversation. We are bringing the best of the best tools and tricks and experts to help you really make the most of your academic experience, whether you are in high school, in college, or in your career beyond. Um, and this episode is no exception to that. I am so excited to introduce our guest, Lindsay Davis. Lindsay is an awesome human being, but she also happens to be the program director of the Hunt Scholarship Program at Southern Methodist University. Um, and I am privileged enough to be able to matriculating um, to SMU in this coming year through the scholarship program. And um, I've just absolutely loved getting to know Lindsay. And in preparation for this episode, Nikhil and I have learned that she knows even more about college admissions and what college and higher education is all about than I even realized before. So um, Lindsay, welcome. And thank you so much for coming on to Real College Talk. Of course, thank you for having me, Morgan and Nikhil. <laughs> Awesome, awesome. Well, to start, Lindsay, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your background? Sure. So I am from Fort Worth originally, but have called Dallas home since 2012, and my entire career has been in higher education. I did my undergrad at TCU, again in Fort Worth, where I have a BBA in entrepreneurial management and a BA in theater. Um, so you might be wondering how in the world that led me to higher education. And I have found that higher ed is one of those fields you really don't know you can work in until you get to college. And then you start looking around when you're a student who's involved and seeing these, you know, program directors and advisors who, to me, it just looked like they were having the time of their life, but in actuality, they were at work. And I said, you know, gosh, I want to do this. So couple that with the fact that I graduated in the middle of a recession and there were very few traditional business jobs available, which is what I probably would have gone into had there been availability. And I found myself working in the Office of Undergraduate Admission at TCU. Um, so I spent two years there and I actually met my now husband when we were both working at a college fair in Abilene, Texas, and our tables were next to each other, me being at TCU wow. and him working for SMU. So um, we met at the so college fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, he got me over to Dallas where I started my master's degree at SMU in education policy and leadership uh, and have been working with the Hunt Scholars program since 2012. Um, I love school so much that I'm actually now back getting my doctoral degree in higher education and I will finish that in May 2021. So I'm about halfway through at this point. I started my dissertation and wow. um, I'm a lifelong learner and student. So. Um, I guess outside of my career, other things that I love, um, college basketball is one of my most yes. favorite things ever, ever. So I love this time of year. March is even better though. Um, I love going to spin class. I love reading. I've promised myself I'll keep reading for fun um, while I'm in this doctoral program. I'm determined. So, so far, so good. Um, I also love volunteering. Awesome. I am in the Junior League of Dallas here. So I'm really connected in the community as well, which is, is super fun for me because it's something I always did growing up and um, it's been a nice way to continue that into adulthood. That, that sounds like a, a really cool trajectory there, just like right into higher education. Yeah, and, um, yeah you're right that it's, it's hard to, to know about those opportunities until you get into college and you see mm -hmm. that. And it does look like a great time if you meet just starting off with admissions officers and then even working your way up. Administration is super great at a lot of yeah. colleges. Um, but, you know, leading up to that, you have to go through what we're going through right now, which is high school and college. And so can you tell us a little bit about your high school and college experience? What excited you? What challenged you? 
Absolutely. Um, so I did go to college in my hometown, which was um, something that not too many people do, but I found it very fun. Um, I, in high school, I was one of those students who was super hyper involved. Um, I did ballet and all of that growing up. So I was doing dance outside of school. Um, in school, I was yearbook editor, student council VP, theater, AP classes, the whole deal. So I think when you think of the over-involved student, I was the very textbook definition of that um, for the time that I was in high school. I think it has yeah. changed a little bit now, which we'll get to later. But um, so I continued that trajectory of involvement once I got to college. I was um, Panhellenic president, which was an incredible experience. I learned so much about how universities work, um, running an organization that's that large. Um, I did a business honors program called Neely Fellows at TCU. And then um, two of the more school-specific things I was involved in were um, what we called Frog Camp, which was kind of our first year experience. Um, it was a blast. I loved it. I worked with Frog Camp every summer um, that I was at TCU. And then I was also a tour guide, which at TCU we called Student Foundation. And that was really what kind of introduced me to this admission world. I loved giving tours. I loved meeting prospective students. Um, so I really, really loved that experience. Um, but I would say the biggest stressor for me during all of this, and this probably hasn't changed, um, was just time. Um, finding a way to do all of these things that I was so passionate about. Um, and actually my junior year at TCU, when I was I had been elected, selected, I don't really remember the details, um, to serve in the key leadership roles for three different student organizations at TCU. And um, the advisors of those three programs basically staged an intervention with me. Um, I will never forget it. They sat me down after a Panhellenic meeting and were like, we want to talk to you because while we are not going to stop you from doing this, we want you to really think about the toll it's going to take on you know, your ability to sleep and do your two majors and all of these things. And so I so credit that conversation with my advisors and the fact that they were really looking out for me. Um, for my approach to working with students now, I mean, as a gung-ho type A involved kind of kid, like I just wanted to do it all, to do everything I could. And I had no you know, thoughts at all around the repercussions of taking on such a great burden of responsibility. So um, I think that that time challenge was probably the hardest one for me to conquer. And it really wouldn't have happened if there had not been individuals at TCU who were really looking out for my best interest um, and who knew what I was doing. And, you know, they didn't force my hand, but they said, let's talk about this and think about it. And um, that really saved me. So I see a lot of the time struggle with students now, both in high school and in college, but I think that it's shifted a little bit. You know, when I was involved in high school, especially, I was involved with the opportunities and experiences that my school had created. Um, but now I think students are so creative and entrepreneurial that like you guys are creating your own opportunities so where I was bound what the school had put into place um, so at least there was some sort of limit on what I could do now it, the sky is the limit truly and I think with that comes a lot of opportunity for positive change and creativity but I also think um, with that comes a lot of potential for you know even more overburdensome time commitment which can be a real problem so I think some of those problems have stayed the same over the years, but just kind of how they're manifesting themselves has shifted a little bit. I'm so glad you shared that because I know that a lot of our listeners are very um, ambitious students, much like you kind of described yourself being. And um, and I know Nikhil and I can both relate to that as well. And whether it's in high school or college, like you say, there are just so many opportunities for different things to do or, or to invent your own activities and your own organizations and your own programs. Um, and it makes me think of a question that one of our listeners brought up on Instagram in, you know, knowing that we were going to be 
going to be interviewing an expert in college admissions was like, um, their question was, what's more important in college, doing well in classes or making the most of like your real world experiences in college? So I would think those like extracurriculars and things like that. Like what's, are, do you have any like tangible tips or, or recommendations for students who feel tempted to say yes to everything and do all of the things so that they're spread really thin? Like, how do you think we should be focusing our energy when we find ourselves in college? Yeah, so I think the best, so, and with the Hunt Scholars at SMU, I kind of see two different approaches to this, and I don't know that one is better than the other, but it's pretty much a 50-50 split of how students get involved. Um, you have the first type of student who literally joins everything they possibly can, realizes they're in over their head, and then scales back. That's one type. And then you have the second type of student who is a little more methodical about things and wants to, you know, do some research. Maybe they get involved with, you know, Commons Council their first semester, something that's a little more low stakes in terms of the number of hours it takes. But then they spend that first semester really doing research. You know, what are the application cycles for the things I'm most passionate about? What am I most passionate about? What do I want to be involved in? And so you might see their involvement be a little bit lower that first semester, but then they don't have the stress of having to quit things. So I think if you're comfortable quitting things after you've started them, that first approach can be totally fine. Um, but if you're one of those people who is like, nope, once I start something, I've got to finish it, it's fine to take a little bit of time. Um, I also think that, you know, students put so much pressure on themselves to strive for perfection, um, when really what they and we really, just humans, should be focusing on is striving for excellence. Um, and I know that my first semester at TCU, I never made a B in high school. I was a 4.0 student and I made a B in my business statistics class my first semester at TCU, and it was the best thing that ever happened to me um, because it really took the pressure off. Um, you know, my grades were still fantastic and I worked really hard to keep my GPA up, but knowing immediately that I couldn't have that perfect GPA just kind of made me go, oh. Um, and I thought a lot about the amount of effort that it would take me in each class to get the grade I wanted. Um, so I've got to be a little bit more strategic about my grades, and I think that um, I've seen this work with the Hunt Scholars too, you know, when it comes time to finals and students are like, oh my gosh, well, I need this grade on this final to get this grade in the class overall. I've, I've sat down so many students and said, you know, all you can do is the best you can. You know, think about the classes right. where your study hours can have the greatest impact. Focus on that. If you're sitting at a solid B plus in a class and you're like, you know what, this is going to be fine. This is going to allow me to keep my scholarship. I would have to get a perfect 100 on the final to get an A take your B plus, study as much as you need to to get the B plus, and focus your time and energy on something where you have a little more power to make a change. Um, so I think that stepping back, reflecting um, on kind of the input-output ratio that students are using could be really, really valuable to them. That's, that's great advice. And um, having just gone through my first semester of college, I saw all of that. Um, you know, Notre Dame probably a very similar environment <laughs> where people are just all the way um, using a bas basketball analogy, full court pressing on everything. Oh, yeah. And it, it just doesn't matter what, uh, just on their extracurriculars, on uh, their GPA and classes. And I think it's hard for them to isolate how they dealt with high school and how they dealt with college because they're mm -hmm. so used to being so perfect at mm -hmm. everything. So uh, I'm glad that you mentioned that. And I, I know the same kind of applies for high school as well. There's no need to be perfect. Nobody is. But striving for excellence is important for people who want to be to who want to achieve highly. So for you in, in college, you you picked up an additional major in theater. And I'm sure that wasn't just to add a different thing to your list. So you double majored in entrepreneurship and theater. What inspired you to, to choose those academic focuses and to double major in the first place? 
Yeah, so honestly, the ability to do both is one of the things that made me really excited about TCU. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was a, a large enough school to offer both programs and good programs in both areas, but it was small enough to where, you know, I could tell the business advisor that I needed to go talk to the theater advisor first before I registered for classes and like no one batted an eye about it. They're like, oh yeah, cool, go talk to Harry. Like, we all knew each other. It was just <laughs> Yeah. So that was really awesome. Uh, but I actually found myself able to double major because of the AP classes that I'd taken in high school. Um, mm-hmm. So I came in with a bunch of credit hours. For me, it was awesome because it opened up a door for me to not just minor in theater, but up it to a second degree. Um, yeah. which meant I could take more classes. And for me, it was such a nice kind of brain balance because I was over in these, you know, finance and accounting and, you know, gosh, we had a class called e-business when I was in college because it was, you know, (laughs) Um, so kind of these hard skills um, that used one side of my brain, but then I would go from, you know, financial management over to the voice and articulation class for theater. And it just really allowed me to use every part of my brain um, and kind of get a a break from each of the two parts (laughs) when I was tired of one. So it was really a perfect balance, and I, I found myself using both degrees daily, which I think is really, really cool. That's awesome. I think, you know, I, I talk to a lot of students who discuss the things that they're most passionate about, but then they'll say, oh, but I can't really focus on that in college because yeah. it's, it's just like a side passion. It's so that, you know what I'm saying. And so um, I think it's just awesome that you were, you just went for it and you decided to double major. And um, I hope that our listeners really think about that for themselves because um, very few 18 year olds straight out of high school know exactly what they want to do in college and in their career. And I know that was one of my major questions when I was touring SMU was like, can I double major? How easy is it to switch majors within the same school if I decide to change my mind? Like these are things we have to um, plan for. And so I so appreciate that you just like explained that. And I'm sure you've used both degrees in so many different ways yeah. that you didn't expect to. So um, that is awesome. Um, to switch gears a little bit, I know that you have done a fair amount of research into college applications. Um, and so can you tell us a little bit about that and, and what some of your biggest takeaways are? Sure. So this doctoral program has been an awesome opportunity to do research on things that are really interesting to me. Um, and it's super funny because for, you know, I've been out of the traditional admissions game, so to speak, since 2012. So it's been a while now, but that part of my brain has just never turned all the way off. I love the strategy behind it. I love learning about the trends. There are so many fads in college admissions. And um, to me, I I see these things happening and I'm like, okay, well, why? Um, So I've used a bunch of my different class projects in school to kind of research admissions trends, things that are happening now, what they mean for students. Um, And I've I've really learned a lot. So there were um, a couple of things I wanted to share with you guys about this. The first is Um, that college rankings are ridiculous and no one should use them for anything ever. Um, So, you know, not, this is one of those things that since I I don't work in an admission office, I feel like I can say, um, but the U.S. News and World Report rankings, which I think some people, you know, swear by, their methods for calculating their rankings change annually. The things that they are including in their rankings often have nothing to do at all with school quality or much less whether or not that school is the right fit for you. Um, So one of the criteria that they use is percentage of alumni giving, which Mm -hmm. is interesting to know, like what percentage of your alumni are giving that shows loyal school that they enjoyed their experience, but it is not an indicator of college quality. If you think of some of the institutions that may have the biggest diehard fan base ever, if you're not looking for a rah-rah sports school, I don't know what loyalty really tells you about what that institution is going to be like for you. 
And I mean, there are now consulting firms out there that colleges and universities can hire to help them improve their US News and World Report rankings, which I think just shows that it's a game. Um, and I get so frustrated when students are like, well, but this, you know, business school was ranked higher than this one. And, you know, this journalism program is, you know, the number two in the nation. And I'm like, well, what does that mean for you? Mm -hmm. You know, I think that it's so important that students kind of step away from these rankings and think about the institutions that are the right fit for them. Um, you know, as anyone who's taken a statistics course ever can tell you, statistics can tell any story that you want them to tell. Mm -hmm. They can be manipulated in any number of ways um, so to tell the story that the college or university wants to tell. So I think that my biggest piece of advice that I have seen and kind of researching these rankings is to be very leery of what they actually tell you about the school. Um, now, if you're looking at things like one of the rankings that US News does is like an overall student satisfaction survey, and it's literally the students fill out a survey. Um, you can read into those results a little bit more and I think actually get some helpful things out of them. Um, but straight up, like we're going to rank colleges one to whatever, 100, I guess, are the big top kind of the top threshold that people talk about a lot, that's really not telling you whether or not a school is a good fit for you. Um, so the ranking stuff has been fascinating. Um, the other thing that I have done a lot of research on um, was a project I actually did last spring about colleges and universities going test optional, um, which is a really big trend. Um, I will not say fad because I don't know how long it's going to last. <laughs> Stories from all of these colleges and universities uh, that are very anecdotal that are saying, you know, we'll buy going test optional, we've increased our student body diversity, we've increased our socioeconomic diversity, we've become more accessible to students. Um, and I mean, I think everyone will tell you that there's bias inherent in the SAT and ACT. Um, you know, test prep materials are expensive, the way questions are worded, there, there are problems with standardized tests. But um, there's been one um, kind of mass study done on test optional programs, and they were not shown at the kind of macro level to cause any changes in student body composition. Um, also, what I think a lot of students don't realize is that if you are applying somewhere test optional, you may be able to be admitted without test scores, but you may not be considered for merit-based scholarships without test scores. <laughs> so if the financial piece is part of the puzzle for you, which it is for so many people at some institutions, you taking that test optional option is going to put you at a disadvantage from a financial aid perspective. Um, so it's, and when I started this project, I was like, oh, I can't wait to learn about all the benefits of being a test optional institution, right? Because it yeah. sounds so appealing. Right. Like access and breaking down barriers and taking another, you know, kind of gatekeeper out of the equation. But as things stand right now, we just don't know if it does that. Um, and still to this day, the single best predictor of a student's first year college success is the combination of their test score and their GPA. Um, without the GPA in there, the test score is not much of a predictor, but when you combine the two, that is the number one best predictor of college success in terms of academics. Um, so that project was really fascinating and I think kind of caused me to open my eyes and um, again, read the research, research a little more critically about what is this actually saying. So um, there are a couple of new studies that are about to come out about test optional research. One of my professors' husbands is actually writing one of them. So um, I'm really excited oh, wow. to see that the research continues to wow. because it's a trend that is very popular and has some of the best intentions you could ever have for a college admission trend, um, but we just don't really know what it's going to do yet. So I'm really excited to see what continues to develop there. Um, but in terms of students who are applying to college, I would say if you're considering applying test optional, if you have a college counselor who you are well connected with, ask their advice. Um, if you do not have a college counselor that you're well connected with, 
pick up the phone, call the admission office at some of the institutions you're applying to and ask for their advice. Um, all of those admission professionals are gonna be trained to help counsel students in the best way that that individual should apply. So ask questions um, because you know, the right option will be different for everybody. So yes, just being cautious of the trends I think has been my biggest takeaway from all this research. That's super cool and I know that's like very well developed information that some people have like ideas about it, but having those facts right in front of you makes it super interesting to, to reframe how college admissions works. And I know a lot of people, a lot of students in particular hire people like college admissions consulting services to kind of sort through those rankings and determine fit. So what advice do you give to people who can't access those kind of resources? Where should they look for uh, their information on determining fit in particular? Yeah, that's a great question because those college admission consultants are pricey. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, it's definitely an, an investment to make. Um, and I think that kind of how you start the search process and looking for fit um, is different whether or not you know what you want to major in. Mm -hmm. um, I think if you are one of those students who has been dead set on a major your entire life, like you've always known you wanted to be an engineer, because um, I have a bunch of students like that. They're like, this is me. I always wanted to be an engineer. This is the only thing I am interested in. And that's great. But I think those students have to, and this is going to sound really ridiculous, literally do a search to make sure that the institutions that you're looking at have that major. <laughs> um, yeah. I know that sounds really basic, but you know, I cannot tell you how many times at a college fair, for example, someone would come up to SMU table that would normally be next to me and be like, I am so excited about SMU, I wanna be a nurse. Well, SMU doesn't have a nursing program. So you kind of have to balance, like if you're most passionate about this academic area, you've got to look for institutions that have that available to you. Um, so then the SMU rep would always say, well, we don't have nursing, but like TCU and Baylor are two other mid-sized private institutions in North Texas, like talk to them about their awesome nursing programs. So we kind of help direct people. Yeah. Um, but if you don't know what you want to major in, I think you have got to look for schools that don't force you to know. Um, and a lot of times that may be a smaller institution. It may just be a more, um, an institution that's more grounded in a liberal arts core that allows for that flexibility. Um, you know, some of the larger state institutions, if you get in as an engineer, you're kind of stuck in the School of Engineering, it's gonna be really difficult for you to switch. So I think that there are kind of those two tracks, either I know what I wanna do, in which case, make sure that you're looking at schools that have that major, or I have no clue what I wanna do, in which case, look for schools that allow you to switch around. Um, and you can do a lot of this kind of cursory research online, browsing college websites, um, they put it all on there. And I would say too, that again, these admission professionals at these institutions are fantastic resources. Um, pick up the phone, give them a call, send them an email, ask them about double majoring, switching majors, like Morgan very much like you asked, you're like, well, what if I change my mind? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Right, like you can switch around. Um, everywhere. It can't be, some schools that are really big, like if you had people switching all the time, it would just be a mess. So um, I think doing some of that cursory research online is a really great option. Um, from there though, I think, and this is something that is not a fun conversation, but if there is anyone who is supporting you financially during your college journey, they need to be on board with the list of schools you're applying to. Um, that doesn't mean, yes, that doesn't mean yeah. <laughs> based on what they're saying, like if you disagree, have a conversation and just like get on the same page before you apply. Um, you may have some information that a parent or guardian doesn't have. Like you may be, you know, dying to go to Vanderbilt, they see the price tag and you, and they go, oh my gosh, it's too expensive. And then you go, oh, but Vanderbilt meets full need and explain what that means. That may put Vanderbilt back on your list, right? Um, so again, you don't have to cave to what they're saying. They don't have to cave to what you're saying, but that's the point at which to make sure everyone's on the same page. I think that 
applying to schools that you're not on the same page about with any sort of financial supporter, getting in, falling in love with it, and then trying to convince a parent they should help pay to send you there. That is a hard conversation um, and one that puts a whole lot of stress and strain on families. So I think getting on, again, on the same page at that application point is the best way to do it. Um, and so I think that you know, once you get to the point where you're choosing a college or university, if you're able to go visit, absolutely do it. If you're not, again, lean on those admission professionals. They will have students that you can talk to, and I think it's great to talk to the official tour guide admission office worker and the random kid who has no connection to the admission office so that you get kind of the, you know, super informed, detail-oriented information from that tour guide because that's what they're trained to do, but also so you get off the record what's it actually like to be here. Um, type of information. So I used when I worked in admissions and I would give information sessions, um, I had a lot of confidence in our students based <laughs> on the fact that I said this. I was like, so while you're out on your tour, stop a random student. Ask them what their favorite thing is about TCU. Ask them, you know, any random question you want. Like that's your assignment on this tour. Um, and I think that, again, like that's going to help you determine whether or not you see yourself at that institution. If just like the average Jane, average Joe, um, if you see yourself like, oh, I could be friends with that person. I could be in class with that person. Um, I think that can be helpful. And again, if you're able to get to campus, you can do it in person. If you're not able to get to campus, you can ask that admission counselor for some advice. Um, but if you are able to make that campus visit, which again, if you at all can, it's recommended, go for a really holistic visit. Try to meet with the faculty, sit in on classes, do as many of the real student things as you can do. Um, very similarly to talking to two types of students, I think it's important to get that polished admissions office info and just like live the life. Um, and again, if you can't get there, the admission office can help you talk to faculty and everything like that. Um, but I think that, yes, that real experience is invaluable um, in the process. And um, yeah, use those admissions professionals. They're kind of the gatekeepers to all of these opportunities. I'm so glad you shared like all these different ways to do college research because so often we think, well, of course I can go online and do the research, but where do we often end up going? It is those college ranking lists. Mm -hmm. um, we know those just aren't reliable. So I'm so glad that you shared that. And um, truly, I think that now more than ever, there are so many ways to learn about college applications and do your own research. So there's really nothing standing in the way. You just have to be creative, make those phone calls. I remember when I was applying, I used to call people, like I used to call the admissions officer when I was doing my FAFSA and my CSS profile to understand like, how can I fill this out best? Cause I knew that finances were gonna be a big consideration for me. Like you just have to ask, like you just have to ask, mm -hmm. go for it and do all the research that you can and, um, and then go from there. So thank you so much for sharing all of those tips. I hope that our listeners definitely go forth and give those a try. We hope you all enjoyed Lindsay's amazing information about herself, about her research, her role in college admissions, and the information was so great that we have two parts for you. So make sure to tune in next time for even more information on how you can approach your college admissions decision and how you approach your application in general. Thanks for tuning in. Keep it real. Keep it real. <laughs>